Welcome back, everyone, as we continue our studies in certain Hebrew words and phrases. This is the Hebrew key, number two, and this is about the word Shema. Now, in the title uh, title slide, you'll notice I translate the word Shema as here, but this is also the Hebrew word for obey. There is no other Hebrew word used in the Bible for obey than the word Shema, to hear. And after all, if you have little children, when you say, now you listen to me, you're really telling them to do what you say. Because if you hear something, but do not allow it to affect your behavior and your obedience, then what good were the words? Anything we listen to, we give our ear to, should be to the goal of changing our behavior, changing how we do something. So if we're not changing what we do, we're not really, truly hearing. We must remember that uh, spiritual light comes in through the ears, physical light through the eyes. And when we walk by our human reasoning, we walk by what we see. And we are not to walk by sight, but by faith. But faith does not come through the eyes. Faith comes through the ears. Spiritual light comes in through the ears. And so, this word Shema, as most of you know, is the first word of what we call the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Here, O Israel, Adonai our God, Adonai is one. And it's traditional that when we pray this in the liturgical service, that we cover our eyes with our right hand. Hear, O Israel. In other words, we're going to block from sight anything that would distract. Because what our eyes see tells us one thing. But we close our eyes because what God says is what truth is. We cannot rely upon the eyes. We must rely upon the ears to hear what God is speaking to us. And then we'll make our path straight. Then we'll walk in righteousness and truth. But if we walk according to our eyes and our human reasoning, we will trip up and fail every time. As it says in Proverbs, do not lean on your own understanding. So, let's just take a look at this, this phrase, the Shema. And, of course, as you know, Hebrew reads from right to left, and there's the word Shema, to hear. There's the word Israel, hear Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, our God, Adonai, Echad. And there are the six words of the Shema. Now, when these six words appear in a Torah scroll, they look like this. If you look at the middle line, you'll, it'll be the same words that we just looked at. And there's the word Shema there at the beginning. There's God's four-letter name, Adonai, twice. And then the word Echad at the end. Now, you probably noticed that two of the letters in this line are written oversized. And this is the way these words appear in every Torah scroll in the world. And if they're not written this way, it is not a kosher Torah scroll. The last letter of Shema and the last letter of Echad, of the word one, are written oversized. These two letters, Ayin and Dalet, spell the word Eid which is the word for testimony, because the message of these six words is Israel's testimony to the world. It's their aid. 
when you read in the Torah and in the Psalms about God's testimonies. It's the word edut, and that's the plural of the word aid. Now, don't be mistaken, this phrase, the Shema, is not just telling us that there is only one God. Um, There were some other religions at the time that also were monotheistic. They believed in only one God. And true, there is only one God, but these six words are telling us something more than that. And according to our sages, these six words, Hear, O Israel, Adonai our God, Adonai Echad, He's one, is not saying that there's just one God. It's saying more. It's saying that He is the only one with with whom we have to do with anything. Wherever we go, He is there. Everything we see, everything is an expression somehow that comes from God, that He is in everything. We do not believe in pantheism, where there are many gods, but the scriptures teach what is called panentheism, which means that God is in everything, and that is why it exists. He upholds the entire creation, everything from a grain of sand to an atom, a molecule to a galaxy. He upholds it all by the breath and the speech of his voice. He is in everything, and everything in creation is an expression of him. It is his speech. And that is what these six words are expressing, that you cannot escape Adonai. You cannot escape him. And as the psalmist says, even if I I make my grave and my bed in Sheol, Lord, you're there. So there's no place you can go to escape God's presence. He is everywhere. He is in everything. Now, there's much more to be said about this. And uh, hopefully, as we continue in coming sessions, we will address this further. But let's look at uh, this phrase, the Shema, and how Yeshua referred to it. It was a common thing in ancient times and even happens today. When the disciples of a rabbi or potential disciples will ask a rabbi, what is the Torah? What is the heart and soul of the Torah? In other words, what is the most important commandment? And we see this question asked throughout Jewish history. You can read about it in the various writings. And it will talk about rabbi will say, these three or four commandments are the most important. In one of the minor prophets, it's asked, uh, what, is, what is good, what's required of you, O man? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Those are the three main things. Well, Yeshua was asked this question. It's in Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 28. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Yeshua answered, The most important is Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel, Adonai our God, Adonai is one. And you shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What we call the Shema begins with these six words in Hebrew, but it continues over the next several verses. And I have put that passage in the notes And you can read it. It's uh, verses 4 through 9, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. 
And um, this is the passage that is written by a scribe on a small piece of parchment. It is rolled up and put in a little container that we call a mezuzah, uh, which really means doorpost. And if you go into a home, a Jewish home or a, a synagogue, in fact, if you enter into the old city through one of the gates of Israel, if you look up, look up to your right when you go in, you'll see a mezuzah, some kind of container, and people touching it with their hands and kissing their lips as they acknowledge God's presence and protection over that city. And inside that mezuzah will be a scroll with those words, Hear, O Israel, Adonai our God, Adonai is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your resources. And it goes on, These commandments which I teach you today shall be upon your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And it goes on. And it ends with, You shall write them upon the mezuzah to the doorpost of your houses and upon your gates. And that is why we put the little scroll in a little container on the right-hand side of the door as we enter a home. So anyways, Yeshua says this is the most important commandment of all, but it does not stand alone. There's a second commandment, and this must have surprised the questioner when he asked Yeshua what is the most important commandment. Because Yeshua went on and said, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. When Yeshua said that you must love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And these two commandments, the commandment to love God and the commandment to love our neighbor, go together. You cannot truly do one without doing the other, whether you intend to or not. What I mean by that is this. If you say that you love God, but you despise your neighbor, criticize your neighbor, complain about your neighbor, you're forgetting that your neighbor is made in God's image, just as you and I are. And what are people to think if you say you love so-and-so, and you have a picture of them on your wall, but every time you pass by their picture, you spit on it. Well, when you criticize, complain, and despise your neighbor, you're spitting upon an image of God because your neighbor is made in God's image. So if we're going to love God, it's important we respect our neighbors as well because in some ways, as imperfect as they may be, they are reflecting God's image and we need to respect that image. And you know, the people in our lives, whether we like them or not, whether they are our family members, our friends, or our persecutors and enemies, there's something God wants to teach us through them. And so even if we meet someone we dislike greatly, we need to, in our minds, remind ourselves that even this person is my teacher. And I have found in my own life, oftentimes when there's someone who just rubs me the wrong way, there's something about that person that irritates me to no end. There's a little voice that says, Grant, that's a mirror. And what irritates you about the person is the thing that irritates me about you. Ouch. But it's so true. And oftentimes what you're most sensitive to in another is the very thing you need to deal with in your own life. 
So keep that in mind. And if you say, well, I love my neighbor, but I don't love God. May I suggest that whatever it is you love about your neighbor is actually some spark, some some, uh, bit of God that you're seeing in them? So, as I said earlier, it's really impossible to keep one of these commandments without keeping the other. You either keep them both or you keep neither. Now, let's look at this word Shema, because after all, this series is called the Hebrew Key. And so I want us to understand this word and see some insights into it. The word is spelled Shin, that's where we get the Sh part of Shema. Mem, and that Mem always has an M sound, like the letter M. And then Ayin, the last letter, is a silent letter. But this letter happens to be assigned a vowel sound that gives it an ah sound. So it's sh-m-ah, shma. And I pronounce it with two syllables, but you may hear some pronounce it as one, shma, which is kind of hard to do as one syllable. But I wanted to look a little more deeply into this. This letter ayin, This last letter is interesting because its name means I, like the I in your head. It's the letter I. It means I. And it's suggested that this letter has these two parts at the top, which represent the two eyes, and this would be like the mouth and the jaw. So the I is looking to the left. The sages suggest by this that the word Shema ends with a letter that means I, because only after you hear, after you truly hear what God is saying, are you able to see. Seeing comes at the end. The I comes at the end of the word Shema. When we try to see first before we hear, it just doesn't work. People who want to understand something before they'll really hear what God is saying and truly obey Him will never obey Him. We must hear first, step out in faith, and then our eyes will be opened. There's this wonderful legend, and it is merely a legend, that when the Israelites were told to cross the Red Sea, that the sea had not yet parted. And there was one man, I believe his name was Nachman, but don't hold me to that. But the legend says that Nachman began to go ahead and wade out into the water. He heard what God said through Moses, that we are to go forth, walk forth. And he walked out in the water till the water was up to his ankles, up to his knees, up to his chest. And when it got right up to his chin, then it parted. And the story here, and again, it's a legend, but the story here here is that we walk by faith. And if we'll simply walk out as impossible as it may seem to us, eventually our eyes will see what God will do. And that is what Moses said. He said, don't be afraid. Be quiet. Don't be afraid. Stand still and behold the salvation of Adonai. The beholding took place at the end of the obeying. So we obey first. Then we can see. These first two letters are interesting in that Shin and Mem together spell the word Sham, 
which means there, over there. So when we hear and obey, then we will be able to see there where God is sending us. Too many times we do not want to commit our way to God until we know where we're going. And he says, follow me. And only if we do, only if we hear and obey, will we see where we're going and where he's taking us. He insists that we trust him first, that we hear, and then we'll see. The sages attach another uh, significance to these three letters. Uh, the, the sages love uh, acrostics, or is it anagrams? I forget which. I should have looked that up ahead of time. But where letters stand for words. And they say if you take these three letters and spell them backwards, you get the phrase, you get the phrase, I'm not sure why that's popping up here, you get the phrase, Ail Malchut Shemaim, the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. The word Ail here, or oil, is the word for yoke. Yoke, Malchut, which means kingdom of Shemaim. You notice the Shemaim also begins with those same two letters, Shin and Mem, the same first two letters as Shema. Those two letters mean there. And the heavens, Shemaim, is where everything is that I want. Everything I desire is there. It's a plural form of there. Whatever you want, whatever you think it's worth living for or dying for, it finds its fulfillment there. That's what heaven is. It's the there. So the kingdom, the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to close this out with just a comment on this word, isle or oil. In the Bible, you find the phrase, B'nai Belial, or B'nai Belial. It's pronounced a couple different ways, or Belial, as some say. Belial means Beli without an oil, without a yoke. Sons of Belial are men who walk without a yoke. They're not yoked to God. And in the scriptures, we find this phrase many times. In the Hebrew scriptures, we find it 22 times. Then we find it one time over in Corinthians, where Paul uses it. And some translations translate B'nai Belial, sons of Belial, as worthless men. And you know what? A person who is not yoked to God... He certainly doesn't measure up to what his full worth could be. So some of the examples of this, and you'll find them all in your notes, are Deuteronomy 6, 4. uh, I'm sorry, in Deuteronomy 13, 13. says that certain sons of Belial, and again, your translation may say worthless men, have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city. You find this phrase in Psalms, you find it in Proverbs, and then finally, you'll find it over in Corinthians, where it talks about sons of Belial. And um, we want to be sure that we are not those who are unyoked, but we want to be those who take Messiah's yoke upon us. We're yoked to him, we walk shoulder to shoulder with him. And though we may not know where he is going, if we're yoked with him, if we have our heads in the yoke, we will trust our elder brother 
our Savior, our Redeemer, our Messiah, our Master. So, I hope you will be challenged today to not trust in your eyes and your human reasoning. That will always lead you astray. And it is the greatest enemy of the walk of faith. Because God will often ask us to do something that does not make common sense. But it will make uncommon sense. Because his ways are higher than our ways. and His thoughts are loftier than our thoughts could ever be. So let's learn to trust the head. Let's learn to trust the master, the one who sees all one who knows all, the one who loves us to the point of death, and uh, trust him that he's going to lead us right. So let's close our eyes and let's Shema. So God bless you, and I'll see you next time on The Hebrew Key. Shalom. Enough said.